Hi, my name is Suze Morrison. I'm the MPP for Toronto Centre. Welcome to my podcast, Stories for Change. Hello, welcome everyone. My name is Suze Morrison and I'm the Member of Provincial Parliament for Toronto Centre and I'm also the Official Opposition Critic for Tenants' Rights. Uh, I'm joined today uh, by Gilles Frenette, who's the Chair of the Board of Directors of the Ontario Tenant Alliance. Uh, so Gilles, I'm so grateful uh, that you've joined us here today uh, and I think we're going to have a really great uh, Fern side chat. Uh, <laughs> uh, but before we get started, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the work that you're doing at the Ontario Tenant Alliance, a little bit about your organization, um, and how folks can get connected to your work if they're interested. Uh, Ontario Tenant Alliance, uh, well, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, Ontario Tenant Alliance is a uh, small group of volunteers. We are a um, recently incorporated not-for-profit um we're all doing this for the first time and um we are best known right now for running uh two uh large facebook groups the toronto home zone which is uh connecting uh, tenants with uh, housing and uh, the ontario tenant rights group um on facebook which uh, uh gives tenants and landlords as well um a forum to uh, network and connect and uh, trade stories about their experiences going through the tenancy system in Ontario. Yeah, and these are some very active Facebook groups, um, probably some of the largest organic uh, tenant networks online uh, that I think we've seen in Ontario. Yeah, so uh, on Toronto Home Zone has about 130,000 members and uh, Ontario Tenant Rights has about 35,000 members. Yeah, that's phenomenal work that you folks are doing. So thank you so much for that. Uh, and certainly wishing you all the best as, uh, you know, your organization uh, grows and, uh, you know, further develops in the coming years. So uh, that's really great to see. Uh, so I wanted to chat today a little bit about tenant rights in Ontario uh, and what's been going on uh, since the start of the pandemic, uh, particularly at the Landlord and Tenant Board. Uh, but maybe let's back up a little bit to before the pandemic. Uh, and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how uh, how folks were having difficulties navigating the landlord and tenant board before we were in eviction. Uh, you know, what are some of the structural issues that have always been there uh, since before the pandemic started? Well, I, I think a lot of the people that um, that come into the uh, the, the groups uh, for the first time, um, it, they face a lot of the challenges that anybody who's thrown into the legal system uh, will face. Uh, the, the tenant board, the landlord and tenant board is um, you know, not a court, it's a tribunal. And, um, you know, uh, supposedly it, it has design features that is supposed to make it more accessible to laypersons. So you're not supposed to necessarily need legal advice, but it is nevertheless and always has been very daunting. So, uh, you know, one of the main problems is that, you know, over the last 40 years, a lot of time and effort and, and, and new regulations have come in. The, the, the Residential Tenancies Act itself uh, was implemented. Uh, Ontario has one of the most highly structured tenancy systems uh, in North America. And despite all that time and effort put into creating a structure uh, for, for managing tenancy in Ontario, there's been really no effort to educate people in how to use the system. So 
so people get dropped into the system and, and they really have no idea about where to start, what's going to happen, what are the possible outcomes that I could be faced with at the end of this process. And, you know, a lot of the forms that you get say very prominently at the top, this is a form that could lead to your eviction. So you start in a place of fear, really, when you're thrown into the system. So education has been a very big barrier, always. And um, the next problem is when you look for assistance, there's a very large gap structurally. Uh, legal aid is available to only people that make a gross income of $18,795 a year. That is a very tight bar. And the fact is most average people make a little bit more than that. And they have between legal aid at the bottom and paid legal assistance at, at very least 60 to $70 an hour for a paralegal, there's a wide gap of average people that have no legal representation or support whatsoever. So that gap in assistance is, this, is the second thing that people are, are faced. And the third, the third problem that people face is um, delays. Even before COVID, the Landlord and Tenant Board had a target of four weeks between submitting an application and getting your hearing and hopefully getting your issue resolved. They've, to my knowledge, they've never been able to consistently hold that four weeks. And at the time that COVID started, we were at about reaching three months. Average processing time between application and getting a hearing. So that helps nobody. Tenants have grievances that they need resolved promptly. Landlords have tech grievances that they need resolved promptly. You know, justice, generally speaking, needs to be timely. So. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And you've made some interesting points there. Um, you know, the piece around the the delays at the board, we've known that this has been happening for years. Um, but uh, it's had an interesting, I think, uh, consequence in the context of COVID-19. Um, and that, you know, back in January, when the wait times for hearings started to get up, you know, three, four months long, as long as six months we were hearing in some cases, um, the Ontario Ombudsman was asked to come in and investigate. And that was back in January. Well, then March, we hit March and COVID-19 hit. Um, and over the last uh, several months, we know the Ontario Ombuds Office has been uh, working on this report about addressing wait times at the board. Uh, but then we fell into an eviction moratorium. So the backlog continued to build and continued to build. Uh, and what we've seen now is since the eviction moratorium was lifted back in August, there's now significant political pressure coming from the ministry down to the board uh, to clear the backlog uh, that had built up before COVID even started. Uh, but on top of that, building the backlog of everyone who was had their hearings put on hold because of the eviction moratorium. But we're not any less in a pandemic now than we were in April or in March. Uh, folks have lost their, their work because of COVID-19. Um, and they're no more able to get caught up on their rent now than they were back in March when the eviction moratorium was put in place. Uh, but instead, the, the board is responding with what um, legal aid folks and activists are calling an eviction blitz, uh, where they're processing thousands and thousands of eviction applications a day going into the winter months while we're, we're at, at the highest number of case counts every day that we've ever seen. Um, you know, on, from your perspective, uh, you know, what are you hearing from tenants that are going through this eviction blitz right now? What is that? What does that feel like on the ground uh, for tenants that are experiencing this? 
well, uh, going through the you know this this new process, this eviction blitz that the, the landlord and tenant board has really been you know forced, like you said, by political pressure to implement. Um, this this is a process that they had no time to plan, no time to test, no time to uh, to you know assess whether it was even effective. Uh, but this the, the process of, of scheduling a, a, a video hearing um, to resolve a landlord and tenant board issue is has been happening at a breakneck pace. So what happens is uh, you will get uh, a written notice of hearing in the mail uh, that you are scheduled for a video hearing to resolve your, for example, eviction for non-payment application. So you are, uh, there's a wide variety of, of problems that, that, that happen just with the mail delivery. Uh, you know, in the North, it can take up to 14 days to receive mail, uh, as opposed to you know, four or five days in the city. Um, and that, and if you're in the North and you 14 days have elapsed already, you only have seven days to prepare for your uh, eviction hearing by video call. So, uh, you know, that's not even considering the issues that people get with uh, all it takes is a single typo and uh, you don't get your, your eviction notification and you don't attend the call at all. And uh, then the, the, the other two parties, which are the adjudicator and the landlord, um, are completely free to uh, assume that you have abandoned your application and they'll just rubber stamp an application, uh, an eviction order. And uh, you know the sheriff knocks on your door the next the next time, and you didn't even know you had an, an, an a pending eviction hearing. So uh, there's a wide variety of, of issues that have cropped up, and there's no remedies in sight as to whether these things can be appealed. Um, you know, I don't know if you're aware, but once you get a sheriff's notice on your door. Um, you know, there is a single, very narrow opening to file an appeal if you think that, you know, you did not have a chance to reasonably participate in your hearing. So like, that's the kind of thing that, that tenants yeah. are on the regular uh, dealing with right now. And, and there's no sign of it stopping. They're being scheduled on a daily basis, uh, really hundreds of hearings a day. Yeah, it's absolutely heartbreaking. I mean, it, and it's not just issues like you've said with the the mail in note the mailed notices, uh, but we know the board is switching more and more to um, electronic notices for hearings, and we're hearing tenants um, that have just never gotten their notices by email either because they're going to the wrong email address. They never receive them. They're getting caught in spam filters, um, and they're missing their their hearings entirely uh, because they didn't even know that they were happening. And the, the, the resources at the board have been reallocated in such a way, the only thing they're focusing on is fast tracking these eviction hearings. And there's, um, there's no one there to answer the phones. Um, so tenants are trying to call in and get information about their cases and they can't get through to anyone. Um, have you heard of it, uh, you know, communication barriers that are happening? There's definitely communication barriers. Uh, there's also wide variability in the uh, technical knowledge of the adjudicators running the hearings. You know, some adjudicators are a little more tech savvy and they can control the pace of their hearings and get work done in a reasonable manner. 
and and even maybe allow the occasional tenant to have the advice from tenant duty council. But um, other adjudicators are dealing with people speaking over each other, confusion, uh, technical problems, and they are simply not equipped to conduct business in that kind of environment. So there's there's, there's lots of confusion due to those 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 barriers. And the other thing is. Um, we're not really clear how the landlord and tenant board, I mean, at least not from the ground where I am, it seems like the landlord and tenant board is using a single criteria to decide which hearings are scheduled right now. And all we're seeing is L1s and L9s. So an L1 is a, an eviction for non-payment and an L9 is in order to collect money from a tenant. And that seems to be the only type of hearing that's being scheduled right now. We're not getting any issues of, you know, harassment uh, uh, being handled. Any type of complex case is just being put on the back burner. And they are simply seem to be prioritizing on cases that they know they can clear quickly. That's how it looks like from down here. That's, that's, that's all we're hearing. Yeah. And I mean, the landlord and tenant board isn't just there to process evictions. It's not just there to rubber stamp, uh, kicking people out of their homes uh, for landlords. Um, you know, it's also a place where where tenants are supposed to be able to go uh, to address, like you said, issues of harassment, issues of uh, lack of maintenance. A tenant, if their unit's not being maintained properly, can is supposed to be able to go to the board and say, and the board will issue an order saying, nope, landlord, it's your responsibility. I'm going to make an order today that you have to, uh, you know, make sure that your your fire equipment is up to date, that the holes in the walls are fixed, that the, the bed bugs are treated. Um, you know, people are paying rent for, you know, safe quality homes to live in. And when landlords don't hold up their end of the bargain, the board is supposed to be there to adjudicate on those matters as well. Um, have you heard of any tenant-led um, applications uh, that are making it through in the middle of this bliss? Blitz at this point? I I can't say there have been none. Um, there there have been some issues uh, that are that were filed in uh, March and April that are just now being heard. Um, but yeah, the majority of cases just seem to be uh, eviction cases, and even the maintenance issues that do uh, um, end up being scheduled are uh, things we called related to consent orders. So where the landlord and tenant have just gotten tired of waiting and have hashed out a, or an agreement on their own. And uh, they went to the landlord and tenant board and said, you know, well, we have a consent order ready. We just need a rubber stamp. Uh, can you just slot us in for hearings? And then they'll get slotted in for a hearing. But mo most contentious issues, complex issues, they just kept pushing them back to the back burner as far as I can tell. It's so incredibly frustrating. Um, it, it's 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 awful out there right now. You know, I sat in uh, on Friday afternoon. I actually sat in on a block of um, of hearings at the board uh, just to witness for myself uh, what was going on. Um, and it's heartbreaking stuff. And the, and the technological barriers of these online hearings, um, I think, are having a huge huge impact um, on tenants actually uh, being able to properly represent themselves and navigate. <clears throat> through a complex system. Um, you know, previously, before the tenant, the, the hearings were online, you know, you would physically show up at a building. And when you would go in, 
tenant duty counsel, the legal aid lawyers would be right there to greet you uh, and ask if you need legal assistance. Uh, and now you're dumped into these online rooms and there's no, there's no way to connect with those legal aid lawyers privately unless you are personally disclosing your um, your personal information and your phone number in these online public hearings that anyone could be listening into. You're compromising your privacy to do that. And I heard one heartbreaking story of um, a survivor of domestic violence um, who was forced to uh, give her phone number out on the internet in a live hearing on the inter internet um, so that uh, tenant duty counsel could call her on the phone because there's no there's no technological mechanism in these online hearings to have private asides, uh, private conversations uh, with the duty counsel, the tenant the tenant lawyers that are there to help people. Um, you know what are some of the the heartbreaking stories uh, that you're hearing? You know are other folks concerned about issues around you know privacy, uh, tenants having to reveal personal information, and the the technological issues with the the format of these online he hearings? What are some of the most concerning stuff you're hearing? Well, I, I think most of it is, is just, uh, especially if, you know, the, these issues have been on the back burner for so long during, during COVID and, uh, you know, the tenant gets their, their um, notice in the mail that they have a hearing, they have maybe 10 to 12 days to get ready. If they've not been able to secure some kind of advice in that time, they're woefully unprepared for what they're walking into. They've never seen how it works before. They've never talked to anybody that's been through it. So it, it's just uh, it, it's just mass confusion. Is is really you're just hit with a wall of information. And even if, like you said, uh, there there is a, a a mechanism on the side for a tenant to seek assistance from tenant duty counsel on the side, um, they get offered that information and they don't understand they don't realize what they're being offered. Like if, if I didn't tell you what tenant duty council was, um, you, you don't necessarily know what it is. I mean, a lot of these, a lot of the people that get scheduled for hearings, um, you know, can be newcomers that may not even have realized that the landlord and tenant board existed two weeks before. So it, it's a very steep educational hill to climb in such a short time. Yeah, and the language isn't intuitive. I mean, like you said, uh, do folks know that tenant duty counsel means a, a free lawyer that's going to help me? What does duty counsel mean to the average person? Um, you know, when I was listening in on the hearings, uh, we don't use the language eviction at the board. They use the language standard order. You know, the landlords will come up and say, I'm seeking a standard order from the board. Um, you know, and if you're tuning in and listening to that hearing, unless you know that standard order means eviction, uh, you know, it, the, the proceedings can be incredibly confusing and people don't know what they're, they're agreeing to. Um, you know, we saw with Bill 184 that the Conservatives passed last year, um, they, they changed the repayment agreements now so that, um, you know, the way it used to be is that if you um, entered into a repayment agreement to avoid an eviction at the board, so a plan to get caught up on arrears, um, and you fell behind on that payment, like let's say you're in a pandemic and you've lost your job for a second time because of a second shutdown, um, you don't now have the opportunity to go back and renegotiate that order to avoid your eviction. Uh, the landlord can apply directly for what's called an ex parte eviction, which means you don't get an opportunity to come back to the board anymore and make your case again. They, you're, if you're a day later, a dollar short on that repayment agreement, it is straight straight call to the sheriff. 
Um, and out you go, uh, you know, and we've raised concerns as well about, you know, if, if a tenant's in that repayment agreement and their records are off and they write that last repayment check for a dollar less than what they owe, can you be evicted? <laughs> well, under the new yes, rules, you yes, you can. Absolutely, yes, you can. Yeah. Uh, it's terrifying and scary when tenants are in these hearings and they're signing these orders. I don't think they understand that if they're a day later, a dollar short, um, it's straight out onto the streets in the middle of winter, in the middle of a pandemic. Um, it, it's outrageous. Um, you're talking about um, uh, Section 78 clauses. Um, so that, yeah, that was implemented in, in Bill 184, where uh, a mediated settlement can now have an eviction clause in it. Uh, previously, you needed board approval and a hearing to have an eviction clause in your mediated settlement, and now that's available in these so-called uh, kitchen table agreements. But uh, yet again, that is explained. There is an attempt to explain it at most hearings. Um, I'm just not sure that people understand that when there's a section 78 clause in your mediated repayment agreement, uh, it's a last chance. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, and that's how it's communicated. I mean, like I said, when I was sitting in on this hearing on these hearings Friday afternoon, um, you know, the the paralegals, uh, you know, all of the lawyers, uh, or sorry, all of the landlords show up with legal representation, all of them. Uh, and you know, you see the paralegal stand up and say, you know, oh, the lawyer wants to retain their section 70, sorry, 78 or 77. I think it's 78. Yeah. 78. You want to retain their section 78 rights. Um, and if you're not a legal expert sitting there, you're like, what is a landlord section 78 rights? Um, you know, they don't understand that, oh, this means I will be immediately evicted if I get this, if I get this plan wrong by even a dollar. Um, straight out onto the streets and the risks are so high. And when you consider the vulnerability uh, of the folks that are in these hearings, you know, people don't fall behind on their rent because things are going well, right? We're talking about people that are seniors that are on pensions, um, folks that have lost their work, their employment because of COVID-19 um, and are trying to make it work as best as they can. Uh, we're talking about single moms that are working two and three jobs who maybe had to take a week off work um, because of quarantine uh, and exposure. And, you know, we're a couple hundred dollars short on the month because they lost a week's worth of, of work. Um, we're talking about people with, you know, severe mental health issues, people who don't speak English. Um, and there's a, a complete lack of support to make sure that those folks that are vulnerable actually understand what's going on in these tribunals. Um, you know, when we think about- I, I really don't think most tenants understand that, you know, if you're hard of hearing, if your English is not as good as it could be, um, you know, you have a right to ask for accommodation. It's not even clear to me whether the board's made arrangements for, you know, translators or ESL translators uh, to be available during this blitz um, uh, because I, I've never had a tenant that we've been um, helping or, or monitoring, um, you know, even aware that they could ask for these things, but uh, all courts are supposed to accommodate uh, within reason. Yeah, when actually the really concerning thing is that we're hearing that the board is not accommodating even when asked. Uh, we heard from one legal aid clinic in, uh, 
was it Ottawa I was talking to or up north? Um, but uh, one of the legal aid clinics we were talking to, they had a tenant who was legally blind, um, who was trying to call into their hearing and didn't have a device um, that she could see the the the, the call-in number, like for the teleconference line. It's quite like you have to enter your room code and the ID code and the password and all of that, um, and couldn't punch in the number to get a hearing. And she requested an in-person hearing because of her disability uh, and was actually denied. Um, and yeah, I, and we've heard uh, stories uh, through, uh, you know, other tenant advocates that are, are watching these hearings um, and trying to shed some accountability to them, um, who last week highlighted the fact that the board was trying to renegotiate, was trying to negotiate and rubber stamp a consent order and negotiating with a 17 year old child in the home because the parents didn't speak English. They were using a child as a translator to negotiate uh, legal terms that could re result in the family's eviction. Negotiating with a child, like these are the, the, the blatant human rights abuses uh, that we're seeing from the landlord and tenant board. Um, you know, are you hearing similar on your end, um, like anything that you think would fall into um, kind of the category of like a, a, a blatant human rights abuse? Well, I definitely um, I, we had a, a person we were helping that was uh, hard of hearing and, um, you know, they really wanted an in-person hearing because, you know, obviously they, they have trouble hearing the instructions, especially when people are talking over each other. It, it's really hard for somebody with a cochlear implant to... Um, to uh, to discern the, the you know the necessary information, so there's I see no reason why their you know uh, L1 application couldn't have been delayed um, because in, in that case they they were uh, they were currently paying rent they just needed to work out a, a way of, of of handling the one or two months that they missed three months ago, so that there's there's really very little cost in delaying that to an in-person hearing, and um, as far as I know they they still haven't replied. So they're yeah. still scheduled for a video hearing, despite the fact that they asked for a, a in-person. Yeah. And, you know, overwhelmingly, you know, it's not, at least anecdotally, I can say from, you know, the cases that I'm aware of in the hearings that we've sat in on, it's not people that have gone, you know, seven, eight, nine months without paying any rent. Like that's not the norm. It's, mm -hmm. um, you know, mostly people that have had something go wrong in the last year and they fell a little bit behind. And they're doing their best to get caught up a little bit more and a little bit more every month in good faith. Um, and I would say that's the majority of the case cases that, that we've seen, you know, um, it, it's folks that, that just need a little bit of help and are being thrown into a legal system uh, that uh, isn't responsive to, to poverty. Um, you know, I think the, the crux of the issue at the board is um, that these evictions are the result of uh, the rampant poverty in our communities that people don't have enough wiggle room to be able to manage a crisis. Um, and in a crisis of the scale of COVID-19, where, you know, folks have been left to figure this out on their own without any supports, without any rent subsidies, uh, without any rent relief, without, um, you know, a, an actual moratorium on eviction that's not just kicking things a few months down the road. Um, folks aren't getting that kind of support. I think, um, you know, these financial tools of, of you know, uh, setting a guideline for rent and uh, tying it to, uh, to inflation, um, which we have in Ontario, uh, vacancy decontrol, um, 
these are these are tools to to regulate supply. But I, I just feel like uh, our our tools have taken over and they're they're controlling people. Uh, if we're unable to um, to use these tools to protect the people um, of Ontario and, and just keep them housed for a few more months until this pandemic is over, um, then you know I, I I I'm very confused, honestly, why uh, why why the priorities are not um, where they should be. Yeah, I agree. So. I want to talk a little bit about solutions because <laughs> uh, I, I think we need some hope. Oh my God. Um, yeah, and so sure. one of the things that we're trying to fight for right now um, is to bring back an eviction ban until we're through the pandemic. Um, and, and that is, that is, in my opinion, the most straightforward solution to this entire um, problem. Uh, just extend the, extend the eviction ban. Um, Landlords are not going to like hearing that, um, but that's where the government again has to step up. You can't just create another ban without support for landlords. Um, you know, if if housing goes off the market uh, because of the eviction ban, um, then you're just creating a long-term problem. Um, you know, in the long run, so it, it, you need you need a, an eviction ban, and then you also need support for landlords. Uh, so that they can continue providing housing. Absolutely. I mean, this is why as New Democrats, we've been calling for uh, um, for rent subsidies since the very first days of the pandemic, right? Give people a rent subsidy so they yes. can pay their rents. Tenants yes. are housed, landlords get paid and can get the mortgage paid and the insurance up and the properties maintained. Um, it is win-win for everyone. Um, and we haven't seen a willingness uh, of either the provincial or federal government um, to come to the table and actually implement a rent subsidy that's going to help folks, um, you know. And there's you know a dozen different ways we could slice up up that policy and implement it. Um, but at the end of the day, saying to tenants, "You're on your own, figure it out," and and on top of it, we're going to start fast tracking evictions to kick you out in the middle of winter as fast as we can. Uh, you know, like what sort of dystopian backwards. Uh, you know, darkest timeline are we in here with this eviction blitz? It's absolutely terrifying. Um, you know, beyond, uh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I, I also think people are underestimating uh, what an impact the, these evictions are having on our COVID numbers right now. Uh, I really think it's a major contributor when you are uprooting entire families and having them move, you know, potentially in a completely different area uh, you're just massively increasing the risk of transmission from area to area. In this time of, you know, we, we've just gone into lockdown in Toronto and the numbers are not dropping. At best, they are barely holding steady. Now is not the time to be blitzing evictions. This is not helping and um, an, an eviction ban really needs to be implemented. Yeah. If nothing else, but from a public health perspective. 
Yeah, the risks are too high, right? And we know that when folks are getting evicted, where are they going, right? Like, let's think this through. You know, best case scenario, they find, um, you know, another apartment um, and it's just a simple move. But like you said, then you're risking, uh, you know, moving folks from neighborhood to neighborhood uh, and increasing the geographic spread of a virus. Um, if folks can't find another place to live on their own, where are they going? Well, you know, the first thing they're going to do is start couch surfing. Uh, with friends and family. So now you're increasing household sizes, you're merging family bubbles together. Uh, and how long are you going to be able to stay on the couch that you're staying on? Or are you staying with one friend for a couple of nights? Um, you know, you're living rough, you're, you're spending a, you know, a few nights next week with someone else who will take you in for a little bit. Um, and what is the risk of transmission when you've got someone couch surfing uh, home to home to home to home? Um, and then worst case scenario is people show up at the shelters. Well, the shelters in our municipalities are full. So then where do people go? Well, they're pitching tents in our parks and in our communities with snow on the ground. So, you know, is I'm it honestly surprised you haven't seen families living in those tents yet, uh, because I think it's just a matter of time at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And then what is the social cost? What is the social cost we are all going to pay when our COVID numbers go through the roof, when our, our ICUs are pushed to the brink? When, our, when our, our death counts, when people start dying because we're not taking a public health approach to keeping people housed. It's terrifying to think of the potential outcomes. It's absolutely terrifying. Um, so I think uh, we'll get close to wrapping things up here, but I, I, I do wanna you know, give you one last chance, Jill, and I, I wanna thank you so much for joining us. Um, is there, if there's uh, anything else anyone can do uh, to support the work that uh, you folks are doing at the, um, at the Ontario Tenant Alliance, uh, you know, what can folks do to support you? How can we stay in touch uh, with the work that you're doing? Um, and is there you know, any sort of call to action uh, that you'd like to ask of folks that are, are watching and listening in? Well, I think uh, if anybody has been through the, uh, the landlord and tenant board system in Ontario and is willing to share their experiences with other, other people that are going through the, uh, the system and themselves, that's the whole goal of the Facebook group that we run, Ontario Tenant Rights. So you can uh, look for us there on Facebook uh, as ONTA, which is the uh, parent not-for-profit or the... Uh, OTR, Ontario Tenant Rights Group itself. So please, if, uh, if you feel you have something to contribute, uh, there is somebody out there that can benefit from your past experience going through the Landlord and Tenant Board. And uh, we'd love to hear your story if you come find us. Amazing, thank you so much. Uh, and I'm also gonna take a quick moment to plug uh, the, the motion uh, that we have coming up this week. Um, here in Ontario, uh, uh, the NDP, we have tabled uh, a motion calling for an eviction moratorium until Ontario is in a post-pandemic recovery period. Uh, that motion is up for debate on Wednesday, uh, December 9th. Uh, it will be debated sometime uh, after 3 p.m. Uh, and probably around 6 um, to be determined. Sometimes the, the agenda in the House is a little bit in flux, but uh, tune in sometime between 3 and 6 and we'll be live streaming that debate uh, from my Facebook page. Uh, so if you want to tune in, you can do that. And if you want to echo the call for an eviction ban here in Ontario, uh, we've got a petition up on my website at suesmorrison.ca. You can sign it there. 
Um, we also have uh, a letter writing campaign. We're encouraging folks uh, to write letters and make phone calls to Premier Doug Ford, uh, calling on him to support uh, this upcoming motion calling for an eviction moratorium. Uh, so if you'd like to participate in our advocacy, advocacy as we're working to get this motion passed, uh, it would be greatly appreciated. Uh, and to all of the tenants that are uh, out there watching and listening, I know that um, there's really great folks like the Ontario Tenant Alliance, uh, like tenant advocacy groups, Legal Aid, all kinds of amazing folks that are out there fighting uh, to try and right the, the terrible inequities that are happening at the Landlord and Tenant Board. Um, so stay strong and know that there's folks fighting in your corner. Uh, so again, I want to thank Gilles so much for joining us today uh, and have a great night. Miigwech. Miigwech. Have a good night. You can sign my petition to ban COVID evictions at suzmorrison.ca forward slash no COVID evictions.